0: take your Bibles, turn along with me to Colossians chapter 3. Here in chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul is sharing some important truths for the Christian in regard to their various roles and responsibilities in life. We've seen the Christian at church in chapter 3 verses 8 through 17. And beginning in verse 18, we see the Christian at home, first with the Christian's roles, rights, and responsibilities in the marriage relationship, the Christian wife in verse 18, and the Christian husband in verse 19. And now in verses 20 and 21, we see the Christian at home with the roles, rights, and responsibilities of children and their parents. Glad to hear the kids are present. The home is the basic building block of society. The home is where our first human relationships are experienced, where we learn to relate to other people. The home is where the next generation is nurtured and shaped. The relationship between parent and child in the home is absolutely critical for the shaping and formation of future generations. And for the flourishing of human society. And so it's no wonder that the devil places his sights on the home. Whether it be bringing difficulty between husband and wife. Or whether it be bringing strife between parent and child. The devil is seeking to destroy, steal, and kill But the Lord Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. As we'll see in our text this morning, just like our relationships in the church and just like the marriage relationship, the relationship between parent and child must find itself submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to realize our sin and come to realize Jesus is our only hope of salvation. And we place our faith and trust in him. We're not only saved from our sins and from God's wrath, but we are saved unto a new life. A new way of living. A new way of thinking. A new way of relating to others. And that affects every realm of life. And it affects the Christian home. The instruction that we see in our text this morning to parents and children is an application of the larger principle stated in chapter 3 and verse 17. Look there with me. Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what does it look like as a child in the home to do all that you do in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does it look like for a parent with children in the home to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, let's look together this morning at these two short verses, verses 20 and 21, and see part of God's design for children and parents. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul continues and writes, he says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. This is God's holy word graciously given to us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you relate to us in parent-child terms. You are our Father who art in heaven and we are your children. Lord, we're so grateful to be known as your children How gracious and good and kind you are to make us your children. To cause us to be born again to a living hope. Born again in your household. Born again to live under your fatherhood. Thank you, Lord, for leaving us your designs for the Christian home. For what our home life should look like how we should behave as children living in the home and how we as parents should raise our children. Lord, you haven't left us in the dark. But you have revealed to us the way that is good, right, and true. The way that will lead to our blessing and our flourishing as your special creation. Lord, help us to give heed to your word. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that we know better. Forgive us, Lord, to looking to experts who tell us things that frankly contradict your word. Lord, help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you might exalt us in due time. Help us to listen and heed your word this morning. Lord, we know this will result in good for ourselves, for our home life, for our church. And for the world. Lord, help us to be a blessing and salt and light to the world around us by the way that we relate to one another in the home. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, I want us to see together two keys to a God glorifying and healthy parent child relationship. Two keys to a God glorifying and healthy relationship parent-child relationship. Now let me just say a brief word about, of clarification about this proposition that I've just shared with you. These two keys. Two keys to a God-glorifying and healthy parent-child relationship. God-glorifying and healthy are, of course, redundant. Right? But I did want to call it out, that it's not only God-glorifying, it also results in health for our home life. This is what a healthy relationship looks like, and this is what a God-glorifying relationship looks like. If something glorifies God, it is by definition healthy for us. It is the healthiest thing for us. God doesn't call us to do anything that doesn't first glorify Him and therefore result in our well-being. What glorifies God will result in our well-being. That which glorifies God is necessarily healthy for us. The path of glorifying God is the same path that leads up to our flourishing as his special creation. So whatever God commands with respect to the parent-child relationship, or anything else for that matter, when we obey that command, we are not only glorifying God, but we are also doing the very thing that will result in our greatest blessing and well-being, and the greatest blessing and well-being for our children or for our parents. So, we're going to see these two keys to a God-glorifying and healthy parent-child relationship. Understanding that God-glorifying and healthy go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So we'll see, first of all, that a healthy, God-glorifying parent-child relationship includes children who obey their parents. Paul says... Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Verse 20. Now, just as he has done for the wife-husband relationship, Paul consistently refers to the person who is under authority first. So he begins with instructions for children before moving on to the parents. Paul addresses children here. He's addressing children of any age who are still in the home. And of both sexes, boys and girls. Paul calls on all children here to obey their parents. You'll notice that Paul is addressing these children directly. That is, he is writing directly to children. He doesn't say, parents, make sure your children obey. Though that's included here, I believe. But he says, children, listen up kids. Obey your parents. This, of course, shows that children were in attendance and were expected to be listening to the Colossian uh, letter as it was read in the gathered assembly. We do children a disservice when we underestimate their ability to listen, understand, learn from, and apply the reading and preaching of God's Word. They pick up more than we give them credit for. Now, since Paul is addressing these children directly, they must have been of sufficient age to understand the word obey. Old enough to begin to apply this teaching. And yet they are young enough to still be living in the home of their parents, still being raised by their parents, still under the authority of their parents. These children are called upon to obey their parents. To obey someone, obviously, is to follow their commands. It's to do what they say. Literally, it means to hear under or to listen under. It is to conform your life and will to another person's will for you. Obedience is an expression of submission, submission to authority, and it shows itself in following the lead of another person. Children are to obey their parents. Now, why is obedience to God by being obedient to parents so important? Because this is the first authority relationship a child ever becomes aware of. The relationship between the parent and the child is the first authority relationship a child becomes aware of. And it is through this parent-child authority relationship that the child forms his understanding of all other authority relationships, including the divine human relationship. And so, submission to parents, obedience to parents, is a foundational step toward submission to God, obedience to God. If a child doesn't learn to obey their parents, their first and most foundational human authority, they will likely struggle to obey every other human authority and most tragic of all, they will likely resist submitting to divine authority. And again, as in other relationships in which submission is required of us, Obedience to parents is not something that happens naturally for us. It's difficult. We don't like to do what our parents tell us to do. We'd rather do something else. In fact, disobedience actually comes quite naturally for us. We're quite good at it. We're quite skilled. In fact, we're quite skilled at appearing to obey while disobeying. We're crafty that way. One of several hallmarks Paul says of this age, the last days that we're living in, is that children are disobedient to parents. 2 Timothy 3:20. It's part of what marks a fallen age, a fallen world, is that children will not obey their parents. And he says in Romans that disobedience to parents is actually a mark of a depraved mind. Now let me try to clarify just a little bit what obedience includes. What does it mean to obey, kids? To truly obey is to do what we're told, when we're told, the way we're told, with the right heart attitude, and with the right motivation to please the Lord. It, just to illustrate that a little bit, it's kind of like the little girl who was told by her parents repeatedly to sit down, sit down, sit down. And she resisted and whined and cried the whole time, and she stamped her feet in defiance. And finally, after repeated commands by her parents, the little girl reluctantly sat down in a huff and with folded arms said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing up. Well, biblical obedience is not sitting down on the outside, but standing up on the inside. To truly obey is to do what we're told, when we're told, the way we're told, with a right heart attitude in order to please the Lord. So let me break that down just a little bit. It, to, to obey, to truly obey, to biblically obey, is to do what you're told, to do exactly what you're told and to do it completely. Make your bed. does not simply mean wad your covers up and throw them on your bed. It means to make your bed. Whatever your mother or father mean by make your bed is implied in the command, make your bed. Obedience begins by doing what we're told. It also means that we do what we're told when we're told. True obedience does not say, I'll do it in a minute. I'll do it in a little bit. I'll do it later. True obedience steps into action immediately and without delay. Not only what you're told, when you're told, but the way you're told. If your mom or dad would like the silverware pointing up when you put it in the dishwasher, then put the silverware pointing up when you put it in the dishwasher. If your dad likes the grass cut in a certain pattern... Cut the grass in a certain pattern. (laughs) Hang on, Dad. I'm coming for you. (laughs) Don't get over your skis. You're right, though. So we do what we're told, when we're told, the way we're told. We do it with the right heart attitude. True obedience doesn't do any eye-rolling. It doesn't grunt or groan or huff and puff. It doesn't slam doors. It doesn't say, oh, do I have to? It doesn't outwardly obey while inwardly rebel. It does it with the right heart attitude and it does it with the right motivation. It does it in order to please the Lord. Notice Paul says, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. When we obey our parents, we're doing what pleases the Lord. This is what the Lord wants for your life. This is the path of blessing for your life. This is what pleases God. So when you obey your parents, you are at the same time obeying the Lord, who put your parents in authority over you. The Lord is the one who commands us to obey our parents. So we can't disobey our parents and at the same time obey the Lord and be pleasing to Him. Your ultimate motivation is not simply to please your parents, but it is to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice too that Paul says that children are to obey their parents in all things. Not just the things you agree with, not just the things you're happy to comply with, not just the things you want to do, but all things. Children, obey your parents in all things. Now, of course, that doesn't mean obeying your parents, that they were to say, ask you to do something sinful. But we couldn't do something sinful and still do what was pleasing to the Lord. Right? Just like all the areas of submission and authority, authority does not have the right, human authority does not have the right to tell us to do something that divine authority has forbidden us from doing. And so it is our requirement in such a situation to disobey the human authority in order to obey God if they ask us to do something sinful. For instance, if a parent were to ask you to lie, a child isn't required to obey as this would not be pleasing to the Lord. So the limit to the all things obedience is that which is pleasing to the Lord. That's the governor and the motivation. The parallel passage from the passage we have here in Colossians gives further incentive for children to obey their parents. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then quoting from the Ten Commandments, he says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Paul explains here that this commandment to honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise. This is the first commandment that God issued with a built-in incentive. Do this and you will live. Do this and it will go well with you. Do this and you'll be blessed. Now this is a general promise and with all, as with all general promises, there are always exceptions. Okay, there are no formulas that you can follow that will guarantee an outcome. That's true in life in general. It's true in parenting. Whatever I say today about parenting, there are no guarantees. There are general truths and principles that God wants us to apply to our lives. And those general truths and principles, generally, the outcome is blessing. But there are always outliers. There are always exceptions. As this is a general promise, there are always exceptions. Sometimes obedient children who've honored their father and mother die in car accidents or get cancer. And yes, sometimes children who dishonor their parents seem to flourish and prosper and live a long life But the occasional exception does not negate the ruling principle. Those who honor their parents will be blessed and will live long on the earth. You want to be blessed of God? Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. The best way you can start off in life is to start off honoring and obeying your parents. Now, I believe there are two aspects to this promise. There's the natural aspect of blessing and a supernatural aspect of blessing that comes from obeying and honoring your parents. The natural aspect is part of God's design of sowing and reaping. If you sow a certain conduct, you're going to reap an outcome. That's a general principle the Lord has built into this universe. If you sow obedience and honor to your parents, things will go well for you and you will live long on the earth. If you sow disobedience, your life will be hard and it may be even cut short. God has built into our lives natural consequences for obedience and disobedience. Look, mom and dad tell you not to play in the street. You can disregard that and disobey and it will not go well with you. You may very well get run over by a car and die. But if you obey your parents who know what is best for you, when you don't always know what is best for you, though you think you do, if you obey your parents, you'll be blessed and live a long life and not get run over by a car. See how it works? There's a natural sowing and reaping built into God's design of this universe. Honor and obey your parents, you'll be blessed and live a long life. But there's another level of this promise, a supernatural level. And that is God actively blesses those who honor and obey their father and mother. In other words, it's not just built into sowing and reaping, but God is actively blessing you, blessing your life, because you honor and obey your mom and dad. You'll be blessed of God if you follow God's command to honor and obey your father and mother. Children, obey your parents. Now, parents, let me encourage you to also observe that Paul does not tell us as parents here to obey our children. Something to observe. And yet this is always the great temptation for parents. We love our kids and we love them to a fault. Oftentimes. We should not allow our children to dictate to us how things should be. We should not allow our children to lead the home, to lead us around. Whether through their crying or their blatant disobedience or their subtle manipulation or whatever, we cannot allow children to lead the home. We're the parent. God has placed parents as the authorities within the home. And as authorities, we are to make certain that our children do indeed obey their parents. Because we love them and we know this is the path of blessing for them. As authorities, parents have the God-given right and responsibility to set appropriate boundaries to make and enforce rules and determine the overall plans for the home and the decisions for each day and each moment. Ask yourself this, mom and dad, who determines what is going to happen most often? Is it dad and mom or is it junior? And if it's junior, who gets to decide things and have the final say? Then, mom and dad, let me encourage you to take back the leadership of your home. Be the authority God has called you to be, to represent Him to your children. So the first key to a healthy, God-glorifying parent-child relationship is children who obey their parents. In all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Secondly, we can see that a healthy, God-glorifying parent-child relationship Includes parents who do not exasperate their children. Parents who do not exasperate their children. Paul says here in verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Paul turning his attention away from the children now to the parents who are in the position of authority. You'll notice that he actually addresses fathers here but we shouldn't, by this, assume that mothers are thereby excluded. Paul is addressing fathers as the head of the home. And sometimes in Scripture, the term father explicitly includes both the father and the mother, as it does in Hebrews 11.23. Father and mother are included when just the father is spoken of. And so while fathers are called out here explicitly and are ultimately responsible to establish the right tone, the right functioning of the home, the right authority, submission, relationships, I believe mothers are included in this instruction as well. After all, it's not like Paul is saying, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but moms, feel free to go for it. I believe both fathers and mothers are included in this instruction. So I'm going to be talking about parents. And fathers, know that your role is primary. You're a tip of the spear. To exasperate a child is to frustrate the child. It's to irritate the child. Or embitter the child by our actions or our attitudes as a parent the result of exasperating our children is said to be that they will lose heart. If we exasperate our children by our unbiblical parenting, we can cause our children to lose heart, making their obedience even more difficult and breaking down our relationship. Again, the parallel passage in Ephesians here is helpful. Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instead of exasperating our children, instead of provoking them to anger, we should bring them up in the discipline and instruction. Discipline being correction, instruction being the positive impartation of truth. Don't go that way, son. Go this way. Don't do that, daughter. Do this instead. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Unbiblical parenting, a casual disregard to God's word and his instructions about the home can exasperate children and make them lose heart and can provoke them to anger. Either way, making their obedience far more difficult. Paul is saying, look, parents, these are little lives here and they are precious. They are image bearers. It matters how you treat them. It matters how you speak to them. It matters how you discipline them. It matters how you live with them. And the way you deal with them can produce a very negative life-shaping response A response of exasperation and anger. So he's warning us here, parents. Be careful. Don't exasperate them. Don't frustrate them. The way we parent can leave either a positive or negative impression on our children. We are the biggest shaping influence in our children's lives. And that, if that doesn't humble you and make you dependent on the Lord, I don't know what will. It is possible to parent in such a way that we incite our children to anger. That they have deep-seated resentments and even rage at the way we brought them up. A rebellion in their heart that affects every aspect of their lives. Now, How is it that we as parents can provoke our children to anger? What are some of the things we might do that might provoke them to anger or frustrate them or cause them to be exasperated? Well, in his book, The Heart of Anger, Lou Priolo shares 25 ways to provoke your child to anger. I'm not going to give you all 25. I want to give you the top 10, or what I, what I think is maybe the top 10. 10 ways to provoke your child to anger. In other words, 10 things not to do, right? This is not what we want to do as parents. 10 ways to provoke your child to anger. First of all, consistently fail to model God's design in marriage. Disregard the authority structure there and the submission Structure there. Disregard God's design. That the husband and wife be one flesh and be devoted to each other. That that would be the priority human relationship. You want to provoke your children to anger? Dads, disregard and mistreat the children's mother. Mothers, Make your priority relationship your children and not your husband. That can provoke your child to anger because they don't see the biblical model played out before them where the husband and wife are one flesh operating together as a loving unit, unified under God's authority and God's blessing. Secondly, make the child the center of the home. Well, you say, well, how could that provoke them to anger? Well, there is going to come a time when the child can't be central and they will resent it. Every other time I get to do whatever I want to do. Now you're making me do something? Third, model sinful anger. Be a hothead. Be irritable. Yell at them a lot. Discipline your kids when you're angry. Model sinful anger and they will be exasperated. Be inconsistent with discipline is next. Number four. Be inconsistent with discipline. What's wrong today may be okay tomorrow based on your whims and your moods as a parent. So the child doesn't know what what day we're dealing with now. What mood is mom or dad in? Be inconsistent with discipline and you'll definitely frustrate your children. Likewise, treating one child more leniently than another, showing favoritism, is another way to be inconsistent with discipline. Showing favoritism is one of the most dangerous things we can do as parents. You'll definitely frustrate your kids and cause them to lose heart. Fifth, create and enforce double standards. Another way to frustrate your kids. Do as I say, kids, not as I do. That's just hypocrisy. If you never acknowledge that there's a distance between what you command of them and what you actually live out, that is going to breed exasperation and loss of heart. Sixth, be legalistic. Be legalistic. That is, fail to make a distinction between your house rules and God's rules. There's house rules, right? That aren't necessarily found in the Bible. They're just house rules. You just, we got to, you know, take your shoes off when you come in the house. Maybe that's your house rule. But that's not in the Bible. Shock, I know. But fail to make a distinction between house rules and God's rules, and you can run the risk of frustrating your kids. Make hang up your clothes equivalent to thou shalt not murder. You see, house rules can be appealed. House rules can be altered. House rules can be rescinded. But God's rules cannot. Legalism can also show itself when we make lots and lots of house rules. Maybe you're kind of a rule-minded parent, and you got lots of rules. Well, better to make as few rules as is necessary and enforce them consistently than to have so many rules your kids can't remember them all and you can't possibly enforce them all. Parents, choose your hills wisely. You got to have hills to die on, but choose them wisely. A seventh, don't admit when you're wrong and don't ask for forgiveness. Our kids need to see us modeling humility, repentance, and how to seek and ask for forgiveness from others. And yes, mom and dad, sometimes you're going to have to ask your kids to forgive you. But what a model for them of the way we're supposed to treat one another, of what it looks like, even for authorities, for those who are in authority. They can do the wrong thing and they need to make it right and do it in the right way but never admit that you were wrong and never ask for forgiveness and you'll be sure to frustrate your kids number 8 constantly find fault nitpick compare them to others say they were you wish they were more like this guy or that kid or their brother or their sister ninth fail to keep your promises Promise them things and then don't deliver. Crush them. Number 10, spend as little time with them as possible. Do that and you will likely exasperate your children and they will lose heart, making it even more difficult for them to obey. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Dads and moms, one of the best things you can do for your children is to live out in front of them a biblical theology. In other words, bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so this would be my challenge for you parents today. Be ever-growing as a mom or a dad, in your understanding of biblical anthropology, we're all theologians, right? Hey, we're all theologians, is that right? We are. We all have beliefs about God, beliefs about the world, beliefs about who man is and what went wrong in the world and how to make it right. We're all theologians. So, parent, mom, dad, be ever growing in your understanding of biblical anthropology. What is man? Because guess what? Those little babies in your home are people. And the Bible tells us who we are. The Bible tells us that that little one in your home is made in the image of God and is deserving of dignity and respect and protection from day one in the womb. There is absolutely no place in the Christian home for verbal or physical abuse of any kind. Be ever growing in your understanding of biblical anthropology. Who is this little one? They are a gift from God. That God has, they're, not, they're not my kid. They're the kid that God has entrusted to me. I'm a steward of what he has entrusted to me. And it's required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. Be ever growing in your understanding of biblical anthropology. Next, mom and dad, be ever growing in your understanding of biblical hamartiology. Now that's a big word. Everybody say hamartiology. Good. It means the doctrine of sin. You got to know about the doctrine of sin in your home. Just go to the mirror. Or ask your wife. She'll tell you. Yes, little Johnny is made in the image of God, but he's also a sinner from the day he was born. He's cute and sweet and cuddly, but he is a rebel at heart. As we all are. Expect this, mom and dad. Plan on it. Plan for it. And respond to that rebellion that's bound up in the heart of a child, biblically. And that means discipline. Discipline has got to be a part of our parenting if we're going to be faithful parents. And our discipline must at times include spanking. As Christian parents, faithful parenting will require us at times to apply the rod of correction to the seat of learning. Proverbs 13, 24. I'm going to give you a series of Proverbs here. It's all in the Bible, okay? Proverbs 13, 24. He who with, withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Do you love your kids? Discipline them. And yes, that includes at times spanking done right, done biblically. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Discipline your son while there's hope. There's a, there's a time when there is a diminishing margin of return in terms of your discipline. Start early. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. You want to raise a foolish kid? Indulge them. Don't discipline them. Don't correct them. And whatever you do, don't spank them. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You're not going to kill him. Apply a little forced pressure to the tush. He's not going to die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol from death. Proverbs 29:15 The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Spanking a child's bottom is biblical. It is not abuse when administered carefully. God would never call us to do something that is abusive. Despite what your culture tells you, the experts say God is the one who made us. He is the one who made the home. He is the one who oversees the parent-child relationship and models it for us. A father who loves his children disciplines them. God would never call us to do something that was abusive. Spanking is not abusive. It should never be done in anger. It should never be done publicly, but privately. It should be done with warnings and explanations. And spanking should be followed by forgiveness and reconciliation. If we're going to be faithful as Christian parents... We must discipline our children and make them obey. And we must have a biblical understanding of the doctrine of sin. And then, lastly, be ever growing in your understanding of biblical soteriology that's the doctrine of salvation. Your goal as a Christian parent is never to simply raise a moral child who grows up to be an upstanding moral citizen. That's nice, but that's not the parent's goal. Because as merely moral upstanding citizens, they will someday die and face their creator. And merely moral citizens don't go to heaven, they go to hell. Your goal as a Christian parent is always to point your child to Jesus Christ. Your goal for them is not behavior modification, but heart regeneration. That's their greatest need. Your goal is not to make them Obey so that life is easier for you and so that you're not embarrassed in public, but it is to shepherd their hearts and help them to see that they are sinners in need of a savior, just like mommy and daddy are. And if you're hearing all this and you're going, ah, this is overwhelming. I've already failed. I've already blown it as a parent. I've blown it as a child. I've disobeyed my parents countless times. I've blown it as a parent. I've, I've gotten angry. I've disciplined my children in anger. I've, I've, I've broken promises to them. I, I've refused to confess my sin before them and ask for their forgiveness. I've blown it so much, so many ways. Well, welcome to the club. We all have. That's why we all, all of us, children, parents, boys and girls, moms and dads, need a Savior. Sin is great, but Christ is greater. Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. Jesus Christ came to forgive us and cleanse us of every act of disobedience, every instance of harshness toward our children, every moment of disobeying mom and dad, and every instance of broken promises to our kids. Jesus paid it all and forgives us freely and models for us the way we are to forgive one another. Kids, forgive your parents. They are not perfect. They blow it. Moms and dads, forgive your kids. They're learning. They're growing. Extend forgiveness as you have been forgiven. Who is sufficient for these things? If you feel that way, parent, well, that's exactly where you need to be, in the place of humility. Because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. There's so much more that could be said about biblical parenting. Let me share with you, I want to share with you two great books for further resources. I've put these links on the church app in the sermon notes under Sunday Resources. Okay, You can find them there. Click on it, take you right to Amazon. Okay, Or buy it wherever you want to buy it. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Tripp. And then The Faithful Parent by Martha Peace and Stuart Scott. There's so much more to all of this. And each of those books gets into the nitty-gritty, okay? Gets down to brass tacks of how we can parent more faithfully. Choose either one, but start with shepherding a child's heart. Show my hand. Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. May the Lord help us to be faithful in all that we say and do, to be pleasing to Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your great love for us and that Your Sacrifice extends and covers all of our sin because our sin is great and they are many. Forgive us again, Lord, even as our minds, perhaps during this message, drifted toward instances where we have failed to obey our moms and dads. Instances where we as parents have have failed our children and have exasperated them and maybe caused them to lose heart. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to make it right with our kids as well. To have the courage to say, you know what? Dad didn't handle that right. And what I said hurt you. Would you please forgive me? Lord, make us moms and dads that point our kids first and foremost to you, Lord Jesus. We need you as parents. Our kids need you. It's our only hope in this life and in the next. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.